We have been in a series in Romans chapter 12 for the past handful of weeks, and we're going to actually end it, end it on, excuse me, on Labor Day weekend, September 1st. And uh, what we've been learning in this very prominent and very substantive chapter by, by Paul, it's probably one of the be- I think one of the best chapters in the Bible, is that he talks about uh, community. He really outlines what's it look like for a church to do life together. Because he's writing to uh, these churches in Rome, they're kind of scattered, and they're, they're actually be, almost going to be become endangered species, and he's very concerned about them making it. So in Romans chapter 12, he goes through different um, commands, different thoughts of really how to do life together as a church. And it's very much apropos for us at Maple Grove Covenant Church to look at Paul's words in the first century and really listen to them as they speak to us in the 21st century. So you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 9 through 12. Last week, if you missed it, I covered verses 9 through 10, and you can go on our video cast. Our video cast is really working now, and Sam Gable, our worship director, has done a fabulous job um, of really bringing some clarity in, on the audio where, I, I don't want to get technical, but it's, it's really nice what he's done. And those are up uh, at the early part of each week. So if you missed last week, and for those who are tuning in as well uh, to our video cast this morning, welcome to you as well. Verse 9, we talked about this last week. Paul says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. That's emphatic. Really love them. And then he says, hate what is wrong, Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with affection. In some, in some translations, it's to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. I, I elaborated on that last week. And then he goes in on taking delight in honoring each other. And then from there, he goes right into verse 11, where he says, Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble, and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. This morning, what um, I felt God really um, leading me to do is focus on 12. And, and I want to use the NIV for this, because I think the NIV really brings across uh, the literal translation, which is simply, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. So I'm going to be using those three terms, Okay. But we need to know, as I've mentioned before, that verses 3 all the way to the end of Romans really rely, they link back to verses 1 and 2 of Romans. Everything that flows from verses 3 and on are are in relationship dependent upon what Paul says in Romans chapter 1 and 2 where he says, And so, my dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. This is your living and holy sacrifice, which he finds acceptable. This is truly the way to worship God. In other words, give your life, your entire life. He's not talking about physicality like your bodies. He's talking about the totality of your life. Give everything to him. This is, the truly, this is truly the way to worship him. Don't follow anymore the behavior and customs of this world. Instead, let God transform you into a new person. By changing the way you think. And then everything else that flows out of that is really about Paul changing the way to think and not copying the customs of this world, but actually following what, what God wants to do and transforming us into new people that can do life together in a church. And then we make our way down into verse 12. 
is to be joyful in hope, be patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. I kind of relate this to uh, snap, crackle, crackle, and pop of Rice Krispies. And I grew up, this is one of my favorite cereals. I absolutely love Rice Krispies. When I was little, though, I'd pour so much sugar on it to make it taste worthy. But even to this day, I go back to Rice Krispies and, come on, there you go. And it's still one of my favorite cereals. Anybody else? Any Rice Krispie fans in the house? All right, a few of us. Make into a bar. No. The cereal is so much better, John. Come on. That's not the real deal. Not exactly the milk from the dairy, dairy cooler on my farm, but this will suffice. And then if you listen closely, unlike any food, it actually speaks to you. Snap, crackle, and pop. I'm going to you watch me eat. Mmm. This is good cereal. Snap, crackle, and pop. But the thing is, with Rice Krispies, you've got to eat it fast because it gets waterlogged really fast. <laughs> All right. So the, the difficulty is uh, talking when I'm eating. Um, but the whole slogan of, of Snap, Crackle, and Pop actually began in 1933 by Kellogg. I'm sure you're dying to know that. And became so popular in which so popular in terms of the little elves here. Like there's, there's Snap, there's Crackle, there's Pop. And that slogan became so popular that actually scientists actually named the fourth and fifth and sixth derivatives of position after Snap, Crackle, and Pop. I have no idea what that means, but it sounds pretty cool. <laughs> so we're going to use Snap, Crackle, and Pop in terms of being joyful in hope, Snap, uh, being patient in affliction, Crackle, Faithful in prayer, pop. Because those three work in tandem, just like a Rice Krispie cereal. So let's begin with the first one. Paul says that when it comes to community, be joyful in hope. And actually what he means literally is, let hope keep you joyful. If you know anybody who has hope, joy, joy can't help come out of their pores. Joy can't help come out of who they are. It's, it's almost like, Hope and joy are consigned twins. I mean, you can separate them, but it's really not the way to do it. They're meant to be together. They work off one another. A person who has hope has intense joy, immense joy. And when you're around them, a person of hope, you can't help be sort of infected by their hope. It buoys your spirit. It impacts your, your soul. And especially today, we are in short supply of hope these days, aren't we? I mean, you just do a cursory glance of the news. And maybe you don't watch the news anymore because it's too negative. But I'm sure you're hearing it on social media and such. But if you just look at what's going on, um, it seems like so much what we read these days is about hopelessness. To be a person of hope is to be unique. Three mass shootings the last week. The little details of billionaire Jeffrey Epstein keep coming out, especially after his suicide. The rise of prices for household goods due to tariff wars with China have us scared. The omnipresent nuclear threat from North Korea have us scared, have us a little bit hopeless. And whether you believe it or not, the barrage of hopelessness due to climate change makes us really pause. And despite our medical advances, we can't cure cancer yet. And almost all of us have been touched by somebody who's been diagnosed with cancer or somebody who has died from cancer. And that can bring 
intense hopelessness. And according to Stephen Hawking, is that we're going to have to move to a new planet in 100 years because we are going to deplete our natural resources. And whether you believe that or not, it is a cloud of hopelessness. Like, wow, is this, this it? And if that's not enough, more hopelessness. The royal family doesn't really like Meghan Markle. <laughs> Coffee, they keep switching this, is now bad for you. Just came out. And our beloved Minnesota twins are hanging by a string been first place all this time. Unfortunately, we won last night, but it's like, ugh, we had a great lead. And it's almost like I need some come on, a sliver or glimmer of hope. I can't wait for the new uh, Mr. Rogers movies featuring Tom Hanks to come out. I just need something hopeful. Or maybe it's The Art of Racing in the Rain, and I, I can't wait for that movie too. It's a great book. I encourage you to see it. But in this, in this, anxi- in this age of anxiety and hopelessness, where do you and I go to procure hope. How do we find that? Not only in community, but also elsewhere. Romans 15, 13 tells us. If you want to turn to that in your Bibles, or you can look on the teaching notes. Paul says this. I pray that God, the what of hope? The source. That's where it's at. The source of hope. Not one of the sources. Not a source. The source. The article, the, is very specific and fill you completely with joy. See how, again, hope and joy. You have, you have both always at the same time. And peace because you trust in him. Then you overflow with confident hope again through the power of the Holy Spirit. So for us to realize that God is our source of hope. But the thing, here's, here's our challenge, though, is that you and I can't see God. Right? He's invisible. And to have hope, some of us need, desperately need, tangible things. We need some flicker of, of things that we can actually see that will give us hope. And that's the beauty of being transformed into a new person, is that God not only changes the way you think, but also the ch- he changes the way you see things. And there is hope every day. God provides hope for us every day. And all we have to do is slow down long enough to find it. This past summer, I found hope in many places. The beauty of a sunrise, slowing down long enough on an early morning to see the beauty of a sunrise has, gives me hope, gave me hope. Finding hope in the grace of a floating monarch butterfly not too long ago where um, some golf buddies and I were waiting on a par three. There's a foursome down there, and this beautiful monarch just came floating by. I just stopped and marveled at it. Gives me, gave me hope found hope in watching people in this church show up for our national night out last week and serving and giving of themselves and embracing our neighbors at the townhomes uh, across the street. And we actually had the highest attendance we've ever had in eight years of doing national night out. And it was a spectacular night. And the icing on the cake was a fire truck showing up. I mean, the kids just went crazy. It was just a beautiful night. It gave me hope. I found hope uh, last week, actually, last Sunday evening, where I went, to, went for a nondescript drive uh, down 169 South. wasn't really paying attention. I was singing songs and thinking about the day. And, and I turned around, and Jordan came back up north and uh, was not paying attention to my gas gauge. And it went empty. So tells you about my leadership abilities. Uh, but caught on the side of the road, sitting there, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna, I call my roadside assistants. Yeah, we'll be there in two and a half hours. 
And then I call a holiday gas station that's just two miles away. And I said, I'll pay you extra. I'll give you $20 if you just show up with some gas. And they said, no, we're not going to do that. So then I call another gas station, holiday gas station, down in Jordan, seven and a half miles away. And I talk to a good Samaritan named Stephanie Marshall. And Stephanie Marshall says, yep, I'll be there. I'll be there in about 15 minutes. And she drives up. And she has the gas, and I'm like, wow. So how many times do I pass by cars on the side of the road? And we just assume, you know, know, they have phones, they're going to be fine. But Stephanie Marshall, this good Samaritan, just gives me hope and humanity again. And then also for uh, my son Alex and I being in New York, here's a picture of us at uh, City Field. And we went to Yankee Stadium and City Field, but finding hope in New York City where uh, Alex and I were at this cafe enjoying a really nice breakfast, and um, we wanted to make sure that we had really good directions on what trains to take to get into Yankee Stadium because we were speculating. We're looking at uh, some Google advice and such and our, our GPS, but we just asked a guy, you know, can you help us? We just want to make sure that we're, we're going to be taking the right trains. And he took 10 minutes of his time. We always think New Yorkers are in, in a rush, and most of the time they are. He took 10 minutes of his time, put his paper down, and gave us specific instructions of what trains to take, what connecting ones, and then also how to avoid rush hour. Ten minutes of his time. I found hope there, right in New York. And I found, and I find, and I always find hope in the tomb is empty. That our Lord Jesus Christ rose on the third day. And that you and I, as we believe in him, no matter what happens in this world, no matter the hopelessness that there is, hope comes into my life when I think about that, that I will spend all of eternity with family and friends. And I hope that you have that relationship with Christ. That's where we find hope. And I hope you have that. I just want to take 20 seconds right now. Who or what has provided hope for you this summer? And maybe as I was going through that list, something came into mind. Who or what took, gave you hope this summer? 20 seconds and I'll keep time. Go ahead. Excellent. Thanks, John. See, I, I can already see, I'm looking around, as some of you are thinking, your countenance changed. Even, even John, John, as John shared right there, this, this joy, this smile. And that's what happens. That's what happens when we actually have hope is that the joy can't help but come out. And in, share, in fact, for me, in sharing my abbreviated list of just several, a handful of things, I could go on and on and on, it brought so much joy in my heart and my soul because that's what happens. Be joyful in hope. Snap. And just like Snap, Crackle, and Pop work together for the full Rice Krispies experience, these three imperatives that we see in Romans chapter 12, 12, Work in tandem. Be joyful in hope. Patient in suffering. Because we know that as we seek to have hope, that our path is going to be littered or obstructed with challenges, with afflictions, with suffering. So be patient in that. As we seek to, to have that hope and joy is to know that, that we are going to go through some struggles. And that this is another way we experience community. 
is that as we are going through those afflictions and struggles and problems, and maybe you're here like, you know, my problem is nothing compared to third world. No, it, yours is. It's your life. It matters. Whether it's large or small, God cares about that. And as you go through that, to know that, that we experience community. Because what happens when we're, we're actually um, being patient in affliction or or are going through uh, struggles, is that people around us, hopefully, we're drawing them in to help us. And actually, we're modeling something for them, too, that might inspire them. I think of a person in our congregation where she's lost her two parents in the last two years. Devastating. She was close to both of them. And yet, she continued to work her job, continued to raise her children in the best way that she could, and then came to, still came to church, still served, and just me watching her, seeing her in action, inspired me so much in terms of the challenges and the problems and the suffering that I, that I might go through, just to, just to see her as an example. And, and that's what happens in a community. That's what Paul's trying to say. Do life together. And by the way, when you're going through struggles together, bring people closer, not farther away. And it seems like in our American culture, we ought to keep people away because we don't want people to know we're having problems. We don't want people to know that we're going through affliction. We don't want people in the church, perhaps, to know that we're really going through some problems. And I just look around the congregation, and as I was thinking about it, several of you this past four or five months have been going through some intense things. And some of you go through the battle each day to remain sober. And you inspire me, just like that woman's story. It inspires me. It inspires people around you as well. And that's how affliction really brings a community close together in many ways. And in a recent blog, Randy Alcorn talks about uh, the importance of suffering and affliction in our lives. He says this, mountain climbers could save time and energy if they would take a helicopter helicopter to reach their summit. But their goal is not efficiency, it's conquest. That's their purpose. Elkhorn writes, sure they want to reach a goal, but they desire to do it by testing and deepening their character, discipline, and resolve. In the same way, God could create right in the womb scientists, mathematicians, athletes, uh, pastors, etc. But he doesn't. Now he creates some perhaps with the potential of that, but it takes a long process. It's a gradual process to actually reach that for a violinist or a football player. It takes time. And at the same time, he doesn't make us Christ-like right away after we're born. It takes time. And along that time, what grows us, I think, in many ways, more so than perhaps others, is our afflictions and our suffering and our problems and our failures. C.S. Lewis once said, pain is the meta- meta- a megaphone that... God calls to the attention of the world. So for us to embrace that. And maybe you're here this morning, you're like, okay, Craig, that sounds really nice. You don't know my, the reality of my life. And you're right. And maybe you're here and what you need to hear in the midst of your challenges, your afflictions, your struggles are the words of God. Let these words just wash over you. From Isaiah 43, 2. This is God speaking. And this is where we come to a text and we 
ought to ask the question, do I really believe these are the very words of God? In the day of Jesus, they did. And more and more, I, I hope as a church, and I hope as a denomination, and I hope as a faith that we recapture very much that these are the very words of God. And God says this, when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Isaiah 43, 2. So for you to take comfort in that, I will be with you. You will not drown. You will not be burned up. God is with you. He is the source of hope. He is the source of strength as well as you go through affliction and as well people in your community. And if you're not in a community group yet where we really move from a, this, a larger church into a smaller group where you get to really know people, and I can tell you through the struggles and challenges I've had, I would not be where I'm at in my faith without my community group. They have helped me so much where I have reached out to them and they pray for me and I pray for them. And if you're not in a community group, uh, p- perhaps take your communication card, check that box because we'll be getting those actually last, uh, next month in September. Patient and affliction. Crackle. Now let's go to pop. Faithful in prayer. For us to be patient in suffering, one must pray. You see how these work together in terms of being hopeful, uh, excuse, excuse me, being joyful in uh, being, being joyful in hope and then also patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. They really work in tandem, snap, crackle, and pop. And for us, prayer is the oxygen of our lives. If we're going to get through the affliction, if we're going to get through the challenges, if we're going to get through the, the problems of life, you and I need to be praying. Praying is the oxygen that we rely on. And perhaps in the midst of your suffering right now, um, prayer is all you have. Snap, crackle, pop. Faithful in prayer. I came across a speech that someone who became a Christian recently, and he said this, my prayers are different today than they were several years ago. Back then I looked at God as a Santa Claus. I asked him to send nice things my way. Now I have one prayer that I pray more than any other. Lord, may I be able to say at the end of today that I was faithful. Faithful in prayer. And Paul elaborates on this topic of prayer in his, letters to, in his letter to the Thessalonian Christians. He says this in verses 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Now you might say, never stop praying. That's impossible. And really what he's trying to say is really have a posture, an attitude for prayer. He's not, saying, he's not being literal uh, and other translations, pray without ceasing. It's impossible. But he's saying have, have a spirit, have a posture towards praying on a regular basis. But again, no, notice the sequence. We have joy, snap. We have prayer, pop. And then thankful in all, all circumstances, crackle. Because you can bet your house that the circumstances that Paul's talking about were very dangerous and very hard and pretty much their lives were at stake in the first century. He's not talking about, you know, easy road circumstances. He's talking about the fact that Christians, especially in Thessalonica, were facing immense, immense circumstances. So very similar how those three work together as we see them. Different order, but there they are, right there. But to be faithful in prayer. And I have got to ask the question, how is your prayer life? How is my prayer life? 
You get to this topic, and there, there's a lot of guilt that usually comes up when it comes to, to praying. There was a study done not too long ago among senior pastors asking them how much do they allot in their schedule for prayer. And 70% of them said, much, I'm much too busy. I'm overwhelmed by ministry. I feel like I'm always behind the eight ball, and my prayer life is very minimal at best. These are senior pastors. And I think it's the same for most Christians, that we, we start up, up sort of a prayer journal, and, and yet that habit doesn't stick. And no matter where you're at, no matter how many times you tried, I want to encourage you this morning to begin to have a regular prayer life. And that's up to you what that looks like. And maybe for you, you're new to the faith, and it means simply two minutes a day. Or maybe for others, if you've been Christians for a long time, and it might be 20 minutes a day. And you might be like, 20 minutes? How in the world am I going to stay awake? Or how, what am I going to be doing? And maybe you start like an exercise bike or an elliptical and start praying while you're, while you're doing that to, to keep you awake if that would help. But I, I love what Martin Luther once said. You talk about a guy who was busy. Martin Luther, in the midst of the Reformation, people asked him, and they heard this, that he would pray two hours every day. And they, they were just dumbfounded. Like, uh, Martin Luther, why, why, how do you do this? And I'll paraphrase. He said, my goodness, I am so busy. I am so overwhelmed with what's coming at me. I have to pray two hours a day to do it. And maybe that's something for me. And I'm not saying you got to do two hours, but perhaps this morning is where you make a commitment to say, you know what, I need to increase my prayer life. Tim Keller, in a great book, I want you to write this down if you haven't read the book already. It's called Prayer, Simply Prayer by Tim Keller, one of my favorite authors. He writes this, and he was the senior pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in, in New York City. They planted 60-some churches throughout the New York City area. And just an amazing uh, theologian and pastor. And he wrote this, In the second half of my pastoral ministry, I discovered prayer. He said, At one point, my wife urged me to do something that we have never been able to muster the self-discipline to do regularly. She asked me to pray with her every night. Every night. And she used this illustration to crystallize her feelings very well. And as we remember it, she said something like this. Imagine you were diagnosed with such a lethal condition that the doctor would tell, told, would tell you that you would die within hours unless you took this particular medicine. A pill every night before going to sleep. Imagine that you were told that if you ever missed it once, you would die. Would you forget? Would you not get around to it some nights? No, it'd be so crucial that you would not forget. You would never miss. Well, if we don't pray together, she said to her husband, Tim, we're not going to make it because of all we're facing. I'm, I'm certainly not. We have to pray. We can't just slip our minds. And from that point forward, Tim says that him and his wife prayed together every night and have so to this day. And Prayer does something. It brings us together. Whether it's in a community group or maybe in your relationship, in your marriage, your family, it brings us close together to really experience community because we need to pray. I have a saying, and you've heard it many times, we must do much more than pray, but before we do anything, we must pray. So for you, I want you to grab your phone. Let's pull out your phone. we got some time. Let's pull out your phone. Pull up your calendar. 
I'm doing a two. Okay, take a look at your upcoming week. What do you have scheduled? Well, for me, I have meetings, staff meeting, meeting with Sam Gable for our worship, and then hanging out with a new family at our, at our church at Portillo's. That's really cool. But uh, nowhere on there do I have scheduled prayer. Tuesday, I have a meeting with an old friend, and then sermon prep. Wednesday, meet with a, a mentor of mine over in St. Paul, and then have a meeting with Brett Germany from our board. But nothing in my in my calendar do I have a regular time scheduled for prayer. And here's the deal. If you don't schedule it, it ain't going to happen, right? If we're not scheduling it, um, at least for some of us, if it's not on there, it's not going to happen. Because you know what? That's, that time that you would set aside for prayer is going to be swallowed up by something else. So schedule it. Put it on your calendar this week, okay? Put it, you can do it right now. Whatever, however long it is, for you to pray. And, but, but maybe you say, hey, Craig, yeah, I, I, I want to be faithful in prayer. Pop, part of the snap, crackle, and pop. I want to be faithful in prayer, but how do I pray? And I'll teach you something very simple that I, I learned a long time ago that I passed on to um, my son Alex and my daughter Allie. It's simply the acronym of ACTS. You may want to write this down if you haven't heard before. ACTS is adoration. It's when you enter in prayer and you simply adore God. God, you are the creator of the universe. I adore you. You are above everything. And you just cast your eyes on God. And if that's hard for you, go to the Psalms. There's a lot of Psalms where David writes about adoration. And when we put our eyes on God, then we bring our eyes back to ourselves. We can't help be cognizant of the sins in our lives. Confession. A-C. C is confession. We confess our sins. And for me, in my prayer journal, I try to be as specific as possible so that I don't repeat, repeat the same sins. And maybe that's for you. But maybe you can't remember anything, but take time to confess your sins to God because he's just, he's faithful to forgive you. And then you move on from there because as you uh, pray for confession and God forgives you, you can't help be grateful. You can't be help be, helpful, uh, be thankful. A-C-T, T is for thankful, thankfulness. Thanking God for forgiving you. Thanking God, and then you go on to other things you can thank him for. And then lastly, S, stuff. I call this stuff. This is the stuff of our lives. It's praying for our own personal prayer request. It's praying for the request for the people around us. A-C-T-S. That's a great, great way to pray. Maybe you have your own way, but I have found that helpful for me to kind of organize my thoughts when it comes to prayer. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. Snap, crackle, and pop. Let me pray. Father God, we give thanks for this morning. And God, thank you for these imperatives, these commands from Paul as we seek to do life together. And Lord, help us. Some of us are just hanging on by a string as we go through um, incredible challenges. And, and, and God, for us, in the midst of that, to, to find a way to pray and also to reach out to others to ask them to pray for us as well. And that might be very humbling. God, the Christian life is not an individual pursuit. It's one that's communal. It's one that's done together. So help us as a church, Maple Grove Covenant Church, 
to be the kind of church where everybody here is transformed into new people. And that in doing so, you change the way we think and the way we live. And we don't copy anymore the customs of this world where it's individualistic, where it's consumeristic, but actually that you transform us into a different kind of people. And in doing so, we bring glory to you and your kingdom. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.